Hello and welcome to the third episode of our podcast series, Destination Zero, Realising a Low-Carbon Future. My name is James Murray, I'm the editor of Business Green. In this episode, we're going to be examining the future energy workforce. Over the course of the next 30 minutes, we're going to discuss the role of education, right from primary school level through to universities and apprenticeships, in building that future energy workforce and tackling the skills gap that the net zero transition is already facing. Over the last couple of years, there's been plenty of talk about the importance of getting young people into STEM subjects, especially women, who are typically underrepresented in these vital industries. The fact that we're still talking about this subject suggests that there's so much more to be done to ensure that the industries are properly representative of the wider population and tapping into the skills base that is so desperately needed. In light of the government's levelling up ambitions, we're also going to be considering the geographical and other demographic imbalances that these exciting projects can hopefully help address. So to dig deeper into the skills challenge, and more importantly, what can be done about it, I first spoke to Ben Morgan, who's a research director at the Advanced Manufacturing Research Centre, which is part of the University of Sheffield. I asked him about the role of the manufacturing sector in the wider economy and the almost perennial skills challenge that it has historically faced. And I started by asking him specifically about how AMRC is currently working with Zero Carbon Humber and the East Coast Cluster to help tackle that skills challenge. So the, the AMRC is part of Sheffield University. Um, so we work very closely um, within our own university in terms of um, you know, supporting and advising some of the areas and topics that go into um, uh, higher education um you know uh, development um but but one of the big areas and this this you know this goes back to kind of the social element and the social mobility and a big piece that we've seen being very very successful around sheffield and rotherham is advanced apprenticeships Uh, and i'm very very passionate about this so this is apprenticeship levels uh three to six so three being advanced apprenticeship through to higher through to degree apprenticeship Um, And really the opportunity for 16, 17, 18 year olds to come in an environment and learn about manufacturing, but also uh, it's important to learn about the, you know, the sector specific. So be that some of the hydrogen development or that might be CCUS or it might be mixes of both, um, but to start to have very practical manufacturing skills and then broader experience of these sectors that we're looking to uh, to develop for low carbon economy and um, you know we, we we've had about 1750 i think apprentices go through our doors um over the last few years about 250 a year um you know and, th- and that's driving something like 25 million back into the local economy every year um, and some of these guys and girls are doing fantastic things, making big savings in their businesses. So mm. I think that's I think that's hugely important. And then on the other side of that is 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 the digital skills as well that I think um, are really you know transformational, whichever industry you're in, but particularly in manufacturing, it's probably the fusion between the traditional skills, um, the hydrogen and CCOS specific skills, and those digital skills as well. And and is this. Um... Is this sort of appealing to those apprentices, do you think? I mean, you know, it's easy to sort of, you know, maybe from those people who work in this space all the time to talk about the excitement of the hydrogen economy or the potential for carbon capture and storage or the revolutionary impact we're seeing from renewables. You know, is that filtering through to young people leaving school, looking at their options and 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 potentially going on these apprenticeship courses? Are, are, are we, you know, are we are we cutting through, if you like? 
Um, I think possibly not at the moment. You know, I, I think um, with you know people like Greta Thunberg on on you know in in the mainstream media, you know, young people are far more aware of the climate crisis than than you know than 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 we were ten you know 10, 10 15, 20 years ago, um, and I think there is that awareness. But I think locally, you know, on on the Humber there is a job to do and and you know we've um uh, established and you know um seen ourselves that we need to get down to the, the the grassroots so to speak and start to really clearly identify um and show to the young people of these uh, industrial regions the the jobs that they can go into if we can get that right the potential surely is there because the the this arguably should be a really transformational project for the region if you can make this a, a world leading hub for zero carbon industry um lots of opportunities that the hope must be will, will flow from that so for decades we've offshored manufacturing um you know more recently we've tried to support onshoring of manufacturing uh, doing this really on in terms of competitiveness on price and now we're looking to greenshore uh, which means that we're developing, you know, we're world leading in terms of embodied emissions in a product. Um, and we're really controlling how products are made and making sure they're, they're manufactured in, a, uh, in as low a carbon uh, method as possible. Having heard about the jobs and economic benefits that this green revolution can bring to areas like the Humber, I wanted to go back to where it all begins, at school, and in particular primary school, where more often than not young people start gravitating towards certain subjects and avoiding others establishing a trend that often determines the careers they pursue after leaving school many years later. Liam Johnson is a teacher at Inman's Primary School, which is located very close to the new H2H Salten site, and has worked with companies like Equinor and others on various projects to help children understand the challenge of climate change and the solutions that will be needed to solve it. I was interested to hear his perspective on how young people are responding to the challenge of climate change and their growing interest in green skills. It's a fascinating space that the way you know young people and climate change we, we see it a lot in the headlines you know Greta Thunberg seems a sort of bit of a global hero and the all the sort of the the perception is that young people are really engaged with the climate crisis and concerned about it as well that's what an area of, of, of worry that you know maybe young people are uh, are fearful of, of the future that they face I mean as as someone who works closely with as you say year six children sort of 10 11 12 year old or 10 11 year olds um what's your view on how engaged they are with this topic and and how they I suppose, are, are responding to the the, the, the climate crisis that we're, we're all having to live through? I think the difficulty with primary school children is um, because they've not got the life experience yet, they've not been able to go, all right, OK, so climate change, we're seeing that the weather's getting warmer. Uh, one of the first lessons that we taught them were was the difference between what weather is and what climate is and showing that weather changes from day to day. And so the kids might see that it's raining and then it's sunny, but they're not seeing that actually the, um, the cold winters where we see lots of snow are getting warmer and wetter here and we're starting to see the flooding. The school itself was actually um, flooded and moved sites, um, but that was that was now before these children were born the children that are coming through so it's difficult for them to see what the before and after looks like so we try to explain it to the children that okay your grandparents might be able to have skied up on a mountain at one point and 
uh, you as grandparents might have to live up the mountain because of rising sea levels, you know, so it's those those differences. But it's a really difficult thing for us to fit into the uh, into the national curriculum. There's real concerns of stagnation with us. So the curriculum obviously is the framework for the education um, that we have to follow as teachers. And we're finding that actually um, there's not a lot of time to talk about these things, these new new concepts. The curriculum was designed in 2012, and so it's 2021 now. And we're seeing that, obviously, as well, um, climate change isn't even mentioned until key stage three. So it's not something that we can teach particularly well. So we've got to try and tie it into other, other concepts to make what is an abstract concept to children a really literal um physical thing that they can see industry seems to be moving so quickly and we've got to try and keep up somehow so having those links with with equinor with um dogger bank with any anybody else that we can uh, we can talk to it's having those specialists come in and, and engage for children as well and, and is that what happens so you actually have people from those projects coming in and talking to the kids about you know what's going on on their doorstep more and more, yeah. Um, the idea is that we're, we've got people that are passionate um, about it, know more about it, th it than we do, but then it's kind of like having that relationship with that professional. So trying to, from our point of view, trying to encourage them to talk to primary phase children and realise that this is where you need to be talking. You don't need to be talking to the children up in secondary. If you want to be engaging our future workforce, you want to be aiming at our four or five year olds. You don't want to be aiming at the, the 14, 15 year olds. It's too late at that point. You want to be aiming at, yeah, come come to us at primary. <laughs> is it, is it, do you think that's really the case that you, you need to, you, you can engage them that early and then that interest will be sustained? Whereas if you go in when they're sort oh, of 15, 16, it's already, maybe their mindset on certain careers is already set. Oh, it's ingrained. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at your, if you look at where the children are in their early years, your four and five year olds, you've got your continuous provision and the children are starting to interact and develop and they're literally starting to, at this point here, develop their self-awareness for themselves. But then by years three and four so you seven or eight year olds you've got these children coming in you're starting to see that okay oh i'm not very good at this subject and so you've got a little bit of mass anxiety for example coming in and so those children might start to go mm, not enjoying this subject it's a little bit wobbly here by year six that gap's grown and so by year six those children have decided right i really like this subject i've decided that i'm good at this and then in other areas i'm not so confident these are the subjects that I want to shy away from. When they get to year nine, they've made a decision already. It's ingrained in them. Am I? Do I enjoy maths? Do I enjoy science? Do I enjoy technology? The answer is a hard yes or a hard no. When you do go into those sort of younger children, try and convince them of the excitement of it. What's the strategy? How do you, how do you sort of get them engaged with the fact that hang on, these are really interesting, rewarding subjects? You've got to give it context. Um, it can't be do this because I'm telling you to do this or, or it, it's got to be that the children want to do it. There's a purpose behind it. Having heard Liam's perspective on how companies should engage with children from such an early age, I also spoke to Louise Smith, director of Aura, which works with the University of Hull and industry to shape the future of the offshore wind sector and increasingly also other low carbon industries. I started by asking her how Aura are working with the Zero Carbon Humber project and how the project is likely to evolve over the coming years. 
So we hope that it'll uh, it'll mirror um, the same as the offshore wind. I hope that that relationship with the university will grow. You know, of course, with um, with uh, the teaching of of students, but I think also the partnership and helping industry to work on the challenges that will inevitably. Uh, come up as they develop this huge project uh, in the Humber. And, and how engaged are students? Because, you know, the, the challenge here, uh, I suppose, nationally and on the Humber, is that you've got these emerging industries, they're going to re- be employing tens of thousands of people. But, you know, they're they're new, they're, they're, they often require quite high tech skills. Um, and the UK's had a perennial challenge with with STEM subjects, with with arguably not getting enough people from all backgrounds into these industries and and, and trained to this level. Um, you know, how confident are you that the students coming through and that the, the further education sector as a whole can can rise to this challenge? Well, I think it's all coming to a head. I think we've all been talking about it for years and years. And I believe there is a gap of particularly in engineering of about 20,000 a year, although some reports say it's closer to 70,000. And I think that's sort of historic. Um, my understanding is that uh, the rest of Europe's engineering degrees last five years, and we, some, for some reason, some years ago, brought it back down to three years, which means that it's a very difficult course, and so lots of people decide not to do it. But I think with the new once-in-a-generation opportunity to work in a brand-new industry and really have the opportunity to tra- change how we do business and how we do technology, I hope that that will attract more young people. Um, A a recent survey from the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy found that um, two thirds of uh, of, uh, 18 to 24 year olds were interested in pursuing a career in the the sort of green economy. And we know that a lot of those jobs are gonna be technology driven. So I I think that universities need to play their part in in, um, how they structure the courses. And I think that one of the key of making those interesting is working with industry. So whether those are placements or internships or working with um, MSc students on their dissertations, but giving them real uh, industry uh, issues to, to study and research. I think that's how we're going to attract them. And, and how important also is it for businesses to say in that relationship with the university sort of explain what they need one of the other challenges i suppose is is getting enough graduates through and and, and yeah. providing them with those skills the other that you hear about is keeping them um <laughs> one, one of the sort of aspects of these projects is how they play into the leveling up agenda uh but you know lots of universities around the uk have this issue where the the students graduate and then gravitate towards london because our economic landscape is so uh so badly uneven compared to many other countries. Um, what what can the university and the project and, and the employers do to, as, as those students come out of the University of Hull or other good universities in, in the north of England, to keep them and attract them to to the energy estuary and 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 to to Humberside and Teesside and these these projects that are happening. I think it is a big challenge, uh, but what I'm also hoping and and you know the the north has traditionally been the location of big industry. And certainly, you know, the big new industries are located in the north. So hopefully then that will then um, have a knock on effect and draw students to to come and study in the north where the industry is located. And then hopefully they will then see 
but it is a beautiful place to live and work. You know, housing's cheaper, uh, cost of living is cheaper. And I think, you know, maybe this pandemic has taught us that we don't always need to physically be located where a company is, but that we can be more flexible in where we work from. Having heard such fascinating insights from those involved in teaching and supporting young people in the development of their careers, I wanted to speak to some of those who are just starting to enter the energy workforce. Thanks to Aura and the University of Hull, I got the chance to speak to two PhD students. Sarah B and Victoria Bessanova are both involved in offshore wind research, and I started by asking them about their journeys into the energy sector so far. Thanks so much both for joining us on the podcast. Um, let's let's maybe wind back a few years, and I'm just keen to ask you what your sort of kind of path into these PhD courses has been like. I mean, what attracted you to, um, you know, quite technical engineering focused subjects? And, and then more specifically, what attracted you to the clean tech renewable energy sector? Um, Sarah, start with yourself. Yeah, sure. So I guess I've always had an interest in maths, which I guess can be quite uncommon for especially for girls, but it's just something I've always enjoyed. And so as I was going through my education, I picked maths and science subjects for my A-levels and then kind of got to the point where I was thinking, ah, what do you do with maths? And so really wanted to find something where I could apply that. And that's how I sort of fell into engineering. And I started off with chemical engineering. That's what my undergraduate's in. But I sort of wanted to be working towards a greener solution and felt like it was the right time for me to then go back into education and back into research to actually try and work towards a solution rather than working in industry in something that I wasn't as passionate about. Fascinating stuff. And Victoria, is it a similar story for yourself? Was that a similar path with, with starting with that interest in maths? Um, I did have an interest for maths and physics, um, but the reason I ended up in the energy industry is because both of my parents worked in an energy company. And um, as we were thinking about my future, we thought, well, energy is is going to be in demand um, every day, everywhere, and you know it's 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 not going to stop um, at any time. So, as a career, it felt like it's always going to feed feed me. What would you like to see to try and you know encourage that greater flow of people from quite a young age? Because it has to be from quite a young age. You're not going to convert people once they're older in, into these industries. Um, what steps are being taken and can be taken to? improve things um sarah yourself first so i think that role models are such an important thing in in society all around us the people that we look up to so the more um women and the more people that are in industry and excited about it you know they go home they talk to their children they talk to their families and their relatives and they get those people excited i guess victoria gave an example earlier on of she was inspired by her own parents the more role models that we can have in the industry talking to the communities, talking to their families, I think that in itself could be just really impactful um, and really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Victoria, one of the other sort of agendas here is is the kind of levelling up and the economic opportunity that that would come with these projects um, in in the Humber and and other parts of of the North East if they were to progress. Um, You you know, is is, is that message getting through to, to graduates that there are opportunities in the region if, if they go to the University of Hull they don't then have to leave to look for work that there's potential opportunities on their doorstep and um, and and you know as, as I mentioned before good paid stable jobs. I think Hamper started to get reputation of um, being a green energy cluster and Ekinor's Dokebang I think helped with it a lot um, 
because it's it's just so close it's just almost out of the window and with that I think it's easier to swing your interest in that direction when you're a young individual looking for um, a potential career if students want to stay in the region there are jobs there and I think that's big sort of factor to um to to make a decision if you if you can stay close to your family close to your um home region and still work in the industry that is exciting um and is rewarding the earlier generation the the younger generation can have a lot of potential uh, to transform in the industry um in both in terms of uh, new potential and the diversity that um, it comes in and I think the key is to um, to spread that knowledge as I said previously in communities but also something that companies can do directly is something like visitor centers um, there's not a lot that we know um, that the general public knows about offshore wind and if there was something so accessible um, that you can just go and, and see how um, wind farms work and how they look like and what are the options working in that industry, it would be so much easier to get excited about it rather than, you know, just spend um, time on working on maths and physics and um, all other science pro- uh, subjects. Because when you're working with them, you don't see how they apply to you, to the real world. But when you come to um, to the industry and see that this skills that that are needed to work there, it makes you more motivated to keep going um, to apply uh, to the university where those those subjects are needed. So this brings me to my final guest on this episode. Kirsty Claude is the CEO of Women into Manufacturing and Engineering, an initiative based in the Humber region. I wanted to hear from her about the importance of diversity in the workforce and how we can improve gender representation in sectors like manufacturing and engineering. How big is the challenge? Because we hear a lot about, you know, the, the, the poor gender split in engineering, manufacturing, those types of jobs. I mean, how, how significant is the challenge that you're facing? It's Well, it's wide ranging. Um, and interesting when you look at the data, so I'm a scientist by background, and when I was trying to work out what was the problem we were trying to solve, you've got to look at the data. The UK in Europe is the worst at employing women in energy and engineering and manufacturing in totality. Um, we're less than 10% women in, that, in our industries. Um, other countries in Europe, much, much better. Portugal, Latvia, they're in the 20s and 30%. So they're not in the 50 but they're much better than the UK. So there's something strange going on in the UK and it's been going on for a long, long time. And when you look at that, I'm not, not asking you to sort of solve the problem overnight, but where, what do you think some of the causes are for that split, both, I suppose, that split being there across globally, but then it being particularly bad in the UK, as you say? Well, we, we've done our own research, doing the events that we've done to find out what is it that puts girls off being part of, of our companies and a lot of it is lack of information they don't realize what opportunities they're they're out there they don't realize that the things they, they enjoyed at school are actually they can turn those into jobs they still think that an engineer is um, someone in a hard hat on a construction site 
And it's not just the girls, it's the teachers and their parents and carers that also think that. And if you're surrounded by people who think that engineering and an engineer or a scientist or a manufacturer doesn't look like you, then you're not tempted to be part of that industry. So we think a lot of it is the visibility of women because there are thousands and thousands of women in, in our organizations, but they're not always visible when people are trying to work out what do they want as a career. Mm, interesting stuff. And and then what is being done? I mean, are we seeing progress? Is it, is it getting better? And what practically is organisations like your own and, and some of the other organisations working across this uh, on this across the country? What, what are they doing to try and um, deliver uh, more women into these industries? That people are doing lots of things. Um, but the dial, I would say, is moving very fast. So I know the wind power industry have got this on their radar as well, and they've got um, programs. So we work with a lot of the wind power companies um, to try and make sure that the roles that they have are front and centre across the school colleges. Um, I would say in some parts it's moving faster than others. So in science, we're, we're doing quite well. Engineering, it's, it's struggling. Construction is struggling. And digital, so the tech part of digital, really is from what I can see, not going at all. It's not moving at mm. all. So um, I think there's lots more to be done. Um, and we're, we're looking at how do we do that. And one of the things we're working with is working in primary schools because a lot of companies focus on going to careers fairs when uh, students are 15, 16, 17, 18 years old or going to universities and talking to students at that point. And I'll tell you, by that point, we've lost most of the girls. We mm. lost them in primary schools and in early secondary because they suddenly worked out that they couldn't see where they would fit in. And the stereotypes start that early in primary. And I was amazed when I started to, to the primary school teacher and said, no, actually, if a girl doesn't enjoy maths when she's in primary school and then she gets to secondary school, it makes her harder to do other science subjects. So chemistry, physics, design and tech. If she's not good at maths or doesn't feel comfortable with maths, she's not going to carry it on into those subjects as well. So, you know, the dial moves away from science that early. Mm, absolutely. Um, just want to draw a little bit now specifically on the kind of the net zero transition and the net zero agenda. Um, obviously, you know, there's concern about sort of the net zero skills crunch. Um, and is, is there a sense that actually diversity is going to be crucial to to this wider decarbonisation projects and the like, and and is it is it easier to attract women to those roles as well, given it's it's a sort of seen as a slightly sort of I suppose a newer offshoot of traditional manufacturing and engineering. I think there's a great opportunity here to tell the story of decarbonisation because youngsters and um, people with a science, engineering, technology background are very interested, but they don't quite know what it means for a career, so they don't quite know what those jobs are gonna look like. Um, so I think there's a great opportunity to tell the story and not just tell the story in schools, but into the, the locality as well of what it means. Um, so when you're building you know, a new plant at Salt End, there's a great opportunity to tell that people in the surrounding area what it is you're doing, why you're doing it and how it's gonna impact them. Um, and I've talked to quite a few women that they're keen, they want to be part of this new industry. Why do you think it is that women and girls are more interested in potentially coming into, you know, these these green industries rather than maybe some of the legacy industries that, that we've seen? What What is it about them? Is it is it the climate change angle? Is, is it just the fact that it's new? What, what, what do you think is making it seem hopefully a bit more of a, of a prospect for them? Well, when I've talked to the teachers, what they say is they like 
girls like to know why they're doing something. They won't just do it because they're told. They want to understand the why. And I think you've got an opportunity to tell them why with climate change. You know, we're, we're going to change the way that we heat our homes or power our industries because of, and you tell the story. Then you'll get them engaged and say, well, how can I be part of it? This array of projects, H2H Salt End, um, the, the, the carbon capture, zero carbon cluster, uh, hydrogen projects, carbon capture projects, you've, you've got the offshore wind developments and the, the wind turbine factories. So you've got this array of options. What do you think needs to happen to kind of get from that initial interest phase to ending up with the, in often cases, really quite highly skilled professionals, um, not necessarily graduates, but highly skilled roles going into these 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 new opportunities and these new companies and, and, and deal with what many in the industry worry could turn out to be a skills gap over the next decade? Well, I would say start early. So don't wait until you're about to recruit. And I would show them a picture somehow. So what Siemens Gamesa did about the blade factories, they took a blade into the center of Hull and they showed the people who came into the center of Hull, this is what we're making at our factory. Because a lot of our factories are behind fences, aren't they? They're chain link fences, they're security controlled. You can't see what people are doing. So show them what it is that you're doing. So the people at Siemens Mobility and Google that are building these fantastic new trains for the underground, they have taken trains and they're going to show school children around those trains to show them what it is. So at an early age, they see what it is that they're going to be part of. I would say that the industry needs to work out how can you make the opportunities visible and the difference that your industry is going to make visible to school children, colleges, graduates and the general public. You've got to have something visible. Well, I hope you agree that's been a hugely fascinating discussion with some really tangible implications for industries and companies who are looking to recruit their next generation of employees and support the net zero transition. Not to mention those in education looking to prepare young people for the jobs of the future and what is a rapidly changing skills market. A huge thanks to all my guests, Ben Morgan, Liam Johnson, Louise Smith, Sarah B, Victoria Bessanova and Kirsty Clode. You can join me next time for the first of what is, will be two deep dives into the technologies that are going to help us realise this low carbon future. First up, we're going to be looking at carbon capture, utilisation and storage. If you've heard about it but don't quite know what it means and how it will help achieve net zero, then please do tune in next time as I speak to experts, academics and politicians about the role it could play in decarbonising the Humber region, the wider East Coast cluster and other carbon intensive sectors across the UK, as well as the challenges that it will have to overcome on that journey. Thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.